Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we thank you for today. We're really, really grateful for the privilege of life that you have given us. And then particularly grateful for life in you. We thank you for the salvation of our souls, O Lord our God. Thank you for just thinking about us in ways that we can never, ever imagine. Thank you for your great love and your mercy towards us. And today, Lord, we come to just sit at your feet to look into your word, everlasting Father. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you please come and take absolute control. You are our teacher, you are our counselor, you are our guide, you are our instructor. And we just look to you today. Open our eyes to see the wonders of the word of God. Give us wisdom, give us knowledge, give us understanding, oh God. And then even as we look into your word, change us and transform us according to your plans and your purposes. We give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Welcome to today's um, Bible study. For the next two weeks, today and next Monday, by God's grace, we're going to continue looking at our theme scripture, and um, we're going to be talking about the new, looking at the new, from the view of the Bible. Um, I'm going to um, preface today's study or discourse with a statement. And the statement is this, is that the new that God has been speaking about is largely about the manifestation of God's love and God's power. If you just write that somewhere, just store that somewhere, that when we talk about the new, you need to understand it from the context of it's to do with God's love and God's power, a manifestation of God's love and God's power. Um, before we go into scripture, I, I, I thought to ask this question because I mentioned this sometime. It's been quite a while, but I mentioned this, and I know that a number of you will, were on there. Can somebody tell me why do we read the Bible? There are at least four or five reasons. Well, you can unmute yourself if you want to speak. Why do we read the Bible? Okay, why do you read the Bible? Why do you read the Bible? Anybody wants to go? You can unmute yourself. Okay. Anybody? Why do you um, read the Bible? It speaks to us. It tells us of God's words. Okay. Um, it's like God speaking to us through his words. Okay. Very good. Um, Nelma says to feed my spirit. Telma says to be closer to God, to know God more. Finding and to know God, that's very good to shape our character, that is very important. Um, to learn what God is saying, to hear from God directly, okay? To get an understanding of God's mind and heart towards me, very, very good. Shalom says for instruction. Okay, so let's just look at them in context. The first and most important reason why we read the Bible is to know God. 
to know the person of God and to know the mind of God. Very important. So every time you read the Bible, every time you read the Bible, just put that at the back of your mind. I'm opening this Bible because I want to know God. Um, we, we read the Bible. Every time you open the Bible, you do so because you want to know God. You want to know the person of God, the character of God, the nature of God, what is going on in God's mind. It's very, very important. Then the second reason we, we read the Bible is from knowing God, we know what is on God's mind the instructions of God, um, the, how, how, how the Bible says, you know, the word of God instructs us, it corrects us, it encourages us. So it's God speaking to us, like somebody said. So number one is we read to know God, the person of God. But then we also read to know the mind of God towards us, what he's saying to us, what is, how he's chastising us, how he's correcting us, how he's encouraging us, how he's instructing us. And then the third reason why we read the Bible, and I'm glad that the third reason didn't appear as the first reason for most of your, um, most of your comments, that that means that we really are understanding the essence of Bible study. Because for many people, they read the Bible because they're looking for the blessings of God, you know, the, the, the promises of God. Nothing wrong with that. But in terms of the order of priority, you read first because you want to know God. You want to know what is on God's mind. And then his promises concerning you and I. And then the fourth reason, to shape our character. It's so important, ladies and gentlemen. The word of God, 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 God gives us his word to also shape us, to transform us into who he wants us to, to become. And then the fifth thing, and please never forget this, that the Bible is written in types and shadows. Jesus himself said it. He says, he says, the whole of the scripture, they talk about him. So when you read scripture, this is me encouraging you. When you read scripture, always have these things at the back of your mind. How, what is it telling me about God, the nature of God? What is it telling me about the mind of God concerning me, the instructions of God? How is, how is God instructed? What is he instructing me about? How is it, what is it telling me about God's promises towards me? How is it shaping or molding my character? And then fifthly is ask yourself the question, what does it tell me about Jesus in the scriptures? Because the whole of the scriptures is in types and shadows, talks about God. Now, I say that before we look into our scripture today, because I want us to read together the scriptures, and I want you as you read to bear these things in mind, okay? So we're going to look at Isaiah 43. That's our theme scripture, talking about the new. Now, I must also say, ladies and gentlemen, that when you read scripture, particularly when you're doing Bible study, I want to encourage you, don't just read isolated verses. Always try and read the context, because you get the bigger picture when you read the, the context. So our theme scripture, Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 19, we know that. You can quote it in your sleep. But what does it really mean? For you to be able to understand that, you need to read the context. So we're going to read the whole of Isaiah 43 from verses 1 to 28. Okay? Now, as we read, just please just think about the things we said. What is this telling me about God, the nature of God? What is God saying to me? What's God instructing what are the promises of God? How does this mold me or shape me? 
And what does it tell me about Jesus? Those five things, okay? Don't forget. So we're going to read the scripture. You can see the scripture, okay? Let's do our daily declaration. Um, oh Lord, we are your people called by your name. We humble ourselves and we pray to you. We seek your face, oh God, and we turn from our wicked ways. Oh Lord, hear from heaven, forgive our sins and heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We declare that our land is healed in Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen, amen. Okay, let's read, I'm reading through the New Living Translation, let's read, please just read, let's read together and think through those verses. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Verse 5, do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west. I will say to the north and south, Bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I've made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Bring out the people who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. Gather the nations together. Assemble the peoples of the world. Which of their idols has ever foretold such things? Which can predict what will happen tomorrow? Where are the witnesses of such predictions? Who can verify that they spoke the truth? Verse 10, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There's no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there's no other savior. First, I predicted your rescue. Then I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are, the, you are witnesses that I'm the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. Verse 14, this is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I'm the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that, verse 18. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? 
I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the field will thank me, the jackals and owls too, for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I've made Israel for myself and they will someday honor me before the whole world. But dear family of Jacob, this is verse 22. You refuse to ask for my help. You have grown tired of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep or goats for burnt offerings. You have not honored me with sacrifices, though I have not burdened and wearied you with requests for grain offerings and frankincense. You have not brought me fragrant calamus or pleased me with the fat from sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, uh, I alone, this is verse 25, will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. Let us review the situation together, and you can present your case to prove your innocence. From the very beginning, your first ancestors sinned against me. All your leaders broke my laws. That is why I have disgraced your priests. I have decreed complete destruction for Jacob and shame for Israel. Amen. That's the whole of Isaiah 23, uh, 43, I beg your pardon. And, and like I said, it's always important to read scripture in context, just to get a sense of what God is saying. So Isaiah 43, 18 to 19, God is doing a new thing. Like I said at the beginning, the new that God is doing is all about the manifestation of God's love and God's power towards you and I. So let's look at the scriptures in the time that we have. What jumps out at you reading the whole of Isaiah 43? And then we'll narrow down onto verses 18 and 19. What are the major things that God is saying to us in this verse? Because that gives the, um, in this chapter, because it gives us the context for verses 18 and 19. Anybody wants to have a go? Anybody? You're welcome to have a go. So I, I ask you questions first, and then you can ask me questions afterwards. Anybody willing to have a go? What's the first thing that jumps out at you? Okay, whilst you're um, plucking up courage to have a go, context, excuse me. So by this time, the children of Israel are in captivity in Babylon. Um, how many years they've been in Babylon, we don't know at this point. But they are in Babylon, and then Isaiah writes the scripture. Incidentally, for anybody who, who is interested, if you studied the whole of the book of Isaiah, the 60-something chapters of the book of Isaiah, they were written at different points in time. The early part of the book of Isaiah was written before they actually went into captivity. And then the latter part was written whilst they were in captivity. Okay, anybody, do you want to jump into it? What are the major themes that jump out at you from Isaiah 43 that help us understand the whole context of the new? Because we must understand the context. Anybody willing to turn? Okay. Let me start since nobody is willing to try. The first thing that you notice in this chapter, ladies and gentlemen, because it's all coming down and boiling down to 
God's plan for the future for the children of Israel. The new that he wants to do. But he starts by saying, okay, so let me see. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at some of the charts. Okay, Sophie says, God's reassurance to us from verses one to three, as God reminds them, very, very good. So it's important to understand that these guys are in captivity. They've been there loads of years. Um, by now, they're probably discouraged. You know, they're, they're, they're tired. They're weary. So God starts, he wants to talk about the new, but he starts by saying, don't be afraid. Like Sophie says, it's an encouragement. And you know, the nature of God, ladies and gentlemen, remember we're talking about the nature of God, is always to encourage his people first. So he says, fear not. And he says, fear not for quite a lot of reasons. Since you guys are not answering me, I'm, going, I'm, I'm just gonna keep talking, but I love to ask questions. I wish you'd, you'd answer some of the questions. Um, so he says, fear not. And he says, fear not in verse one. He says, because I am your God, which means that you belong to me. And that's very instructive, ladies and gentlemen, because if we're going to embrace the word of God, the promises of God, we must understand this covenant relationship that we have with God. It's so important. And God was writing to them whilst they were in, in, um, in uh, captivity. And he was reminding them, you know, whatever it is you're going through, whatever the challenges you're going through in captivity, it says, fear not, remember that you belong to me. I am your God. And then he goes on to say in verses two to three, uh, like Sophie said, to encourage them. He says, no matter what it is that you're going through, um, and he uses the metaphor of if you go through rivers, if you go through the fire, not just, just remember that not only are you my people, not only am I your God, but I am with you. And that's very, very, very important, ladies and gentlemen, for you and I, as we imbibe the word of God for the new, that we belong to God. We, you know, you know I, I can say this a million times, you know, belonging to God, that God is our God means that he's responsible for you and I. It's so important to imbibe this. And then he says, whatever it is you're going through, I am with you. That's number one. Okay. What else jumps out at you, ladies and gentlemen? So the first thing he says, he reassures them, encourages them. What is the next thing that jumps at you? Okay, uh, Queen says, God says he will wipe the sins as long as, okay, but that's towards the end. Let's try and go in sequence. Anybody? Who else will go? About five, Tolu, Tolu, go on. You can unmute yourself. Uh, looking at this um, verse also just remind me of what God said when God asked Moses to go back to Egypt. So uh, we see something here that takes me back to that phrase where God is saying, he, I, I said, I am he, just mm -hmm. like he said to Moses that I am that I am. So he said, I am he who is in charge of their lives and also to protect them from anything that they need to do. Also looking at some of the things he said here, he said, as looking at him as being a jealous God because he doesn't, he won't allow them to have any foreign gods among, among 
the people of Israel in this they have been this journey they embarked on from saving them from this from this captivity that they are in. Okay, all right. Okay, so thanks I'm for that. At that from verse twelve to thirteen. Okay, all right. Thanks for that, Kemi. You put your hand up. What 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 do you see? Yeah. What, what what um, comes to me reading the earlier part of uh, uh, that chapter 43 is mm -hmm. God trying to let his children know who he is and his mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. and, and describing who he is and reminding them of, 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 of you know, his sovereignty and what he can do. Um, yeah. That's what I can see um, yeah. at the beginning of that chapter. Yeah, the, if we were sitting in class, I'd invite you to come and sit in front. Um, <laughs> I, I, and uh, Candy um, said he declares his sovereignty. And again, remember, this is how we understand the context of scripture, read the whole chapter through, or even many chapters as the case is. So verses one to seven, God starts by encouraging them. Fear not, don't worry. I'm your God, you belong to me. I haven't, I haven't abandoned you, even though you're in captivity. Oh, incidentally, all the things that you're going through, I am with you, whether you go through the fire or not. And then from verses 8 to 13, he now starts to talk about his sovereignty, his power. Incidentally, these are the things that the children have witnessed over the years because they've seen God work on their behalf. So he's reminding them, he says, he uses words like, you've been my witnesses. You've seen what I've done over the years. I love verse 10, you know, in verse 10, it says, you have been chosen. In fact, let me read it from the Bible. It says, it says, but you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, to believe in me, and understand that I alone, I am God. So he's saying, you guys, don't you get it? I am the only God. I alone am God. And by the way, the privilege that you have is a privilege, I'm sorry, the relationship that I have with you is a privileged relationship because I actually chose you. You know, that word chose in the, in the Hebrew is a word called baka. It means a, a distinctive relationship. It means, you know, when, when a person is favored by God and he particularly chooses them. You remember the scriptures, I, I don't know, you guys are better Bible scholars than I. You know the scripture where it says uh, that um, uh, Jacob and Esau, you remember the twins, they were born. It says, but from their mother's womb, he had chosen Jacob because he preferred Jacob. If, that, if that's the description, that's what that word means, that we are a people favored by God. Israel was favored by God, and he chose them particularly to come into that close relationship. So now he's saying, you guys, don't you understand? Don't you understand the privileged position you have? And by the way, you should more than other people know that I am God. So this is God declaring his sovereignty. Okay, let's go on. That's verses 8 to 13. Verses 14 to 17, what is God saying? What's God saying? Verses 14 to 17. Anybody? So he's encouraged them. And then he's saying, I chose you to be my witnesses to, to, you know, to understand that I alone am God. And this is all context for what God is about to do. Anybody who's going to try 14 to 17? 
Anybody? Bumi? Um, yes, Master Shala. I think yeah. God is basically reminding them of his, um, that there is no one else like him. He's the only one who is able to do these things. So he gives some examples of those things that he alone can do and nobody else or nothing else can do. And he outlines, it's just like reminding them, saying, look, this is really who I am as a reminder. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, um, Queen, reminding them about his power, okay? <laughs> Somebody says God was boasting. God doesn't boast because everything that he says is true. No, God wasn't boasting, but like Bumi said, God was reminding them. So let's go over it again. First of all, he encourages them to say, look, you're my people, I'm your God. I haven't abandoned you, I'm with you. Wherever you whatever you're going through, I am going to be there with you. Then he reminds them that I chose you specifically. You guys are special people. I chose you specifically to come into this close relationship with me, to be my witnesses to the rest of the world, to let the whole world know that there's no other God but this God. And then he goes on to say, but, you know, you've seen my power at work. You've seen my power at work in your lives. And then he gives the examples how he says, um, he sent an army, so, sorry, actually, let me, let me take a step backwards. Before then, he says, for your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon. So it begins to promise them, yeah? But then to help them understand, because by this time, these guys have been in captivity for a while. Like I said, at the beginning, some of them are discouraged. So, you know, because of the oppression and all that. He now very quickly switches from the promise, and he's going to come back to the promise, because the promise is, for your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon. Yeah. But he then switches to remind them of what he had done before. Like Bumi said, reminding them of his power. That I am God. I can do this thing that I've said. Imagine, ladies and gentlemen, these guys have been in captivity um, for quite a number of years. At that particular point in time, Babylon was the greatest nation on earth. You know, they'd seen the, 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 the oppression of Babylon. And, you know, the, the prophet says, oh, by the way, God says that I'm going to deliver you for, for my sake. And they're thinking, how is God going to do this thing? And, you know, that's exactly like you and I, because we hear the word of God, we hear the promises of God, and we're thinking, but how is God going to do this? So God says, you know what, can't you remember what I've done in the past, how I delivered you from Egypt? And not only did I deliver you from Egypt, I drowned the whole of Pharaoh's army, <laughs> armies as they came after you. Candice, you put your hand up. You want to say something? Uh, good evening, Pastor. Yeah, I yeah. just find it um, just amazing because this is the same nation that was brought out of Egypt. Yes. So it's not to say that they were completely ignorant of who God was, but God is just laying it all out very clearly very simply this is who i am from you know if you are new here this is who i am this is my resume yeah. this is what i can do this is what i've done before yeah. just to provide them with the reassurance because this is the same nation that are somewhat wayward in mind and wayward in spirit yeah. so just to gather their senses and gather their thoughts and gather their heart just to say look this is who i am do you remember i did this remember your forefathers remember what they told you mm. those stories that you've heard before 
is the same God. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, Candice, because it is very true. That's what he was doing. But I loved what you said at the beginning, where you said you found it amazing that these are the same people that were delivered. Now, that is the problem. And we'll come to that as we end today's session. That's the problem that God had always had with them. Because the challenge with the children of Israel, and you'll You'll, you'll see as we go on in the latter parts of this chapter, is that even though they had seen the works of God, the wonders of God, they still did not believe God. Even though they'd seen the power of God at work in their lives, they were still rebellious against God. Their hearts were hard. But anyway, God is patiently going through the motions and he's saying, like you said, reminding them again that, I'm the person that did this and that. I delivered you from Egypt. I drowned Pharaoh. Um, and that's from verses uh, 14 to 17. Now, so three things we've seen in this chapter. Number one, God encourages them to start with, don't be afraid. Okay, so God has encouraged them, says not to fear. He, he says, he reminds them of the privileged re relationship they have with him as his witnesses. He chose them, by the way. And then he now says, I am going to deliver you from Babylon. But very quickly reminds them of his power that was at work in their lives before because he was the same God that delivered them from Egypt. Now we come to verses 18 to 21. Ladies and gentlemen, you've read the scripture so many times. But can somebody tell me if there's something new that you see in the scriptures? We've read it, we've said it, we've spoken it, we've prayed it. Is there something new that you see in the scriptures? Based on the context that we've painted, remember? You know, anybody? Is there anything that jumps out at you that you did not see before in reading? Isaiah 43, verses 18 to 19 and beyond. Anybody? Alison Ray, you said, what is this scripture? Okay, maybe you joined a bit late. We're looking at Isaiah 43. We read the whole chapter, and we're just teasing out what God is saying to us in the whole chapter as we narrow down into the new, the promise of the new. Okay? Biola, go on. Yeah, I think for me, uh, what really jumps out is the first line. Um, because uh, if you look at, if we think about the backdrop, they're in captivity, they've been through a lot and he's reintroduced himself to them. But I feel like that uh, first line, do not remember the former things, is actually very powerful. Because mm. for me, it's like, a it's, it's like a reassurance of saying, okay, every, all these things have happened so far, but guess what? Forget all about these ones and, you know, focus on, what's to come so that's what jumps out at me personally because they do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old in other words you've been through all this stuff but guess what it's in the past because i am doing a new thing and all the other scriptures that come um, after that okay i mean that that that's quite good and you're right but doesn't it sound like a paradox ladies and gentlemen because god's made a promise he says I'm going to deliver you from Babylon. And then reminds them 
of what he did to encourage them. But then he says, oh, but don't remember that or forget that. Doesn't this sound like a paradox? Because you are trying to encourage me by remembering something, but you are telling me not to remember it. Does somebody understand? Can anybody explain? Can anybody explain? Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. Oh, Biala, you want to, to have a go? It's interesting you say it that way because I actually didn't think about the not remember the former things in terms of all the things they has done. Mm. I was thinking in my head, and of course, it must be my myopic mind, in terms of the suffering they've gone through as opposed to all the things he's done for them in the past. Yeah, but the context is, don't forget, if you're reading the context, he just finished telling them all these wonderful things that yeah. he had done. Yeah. So he was reminding them, but then telling them not to remember. Not Bumi? Remember. So very Thank you. Bumi, do you yeah. want to have a go? Yeah. Yes, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to have a go. Um, because when I read that this time around, I, I hadn't paid attention to it. He had just finished telling them the great things, the mighty things he had done and reminding them of what it is. Mm. And then when he says this, this basically tells me, you see all those things I just told you about, they pale into insignificance to what I'm about to do. Mm. Okay. All right. Candice. Uh, yeah, kind of like what Bumi um, just said. It, 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 I think we do kind of pick scriptures out and, and don't read the entirety of it. And I guess you can kind of see God almost having to gather their attention mm. by reminding them of all the amazing things, not, not so much to hype himself up, but to really grab their attention. Mm. And once he's now got their attention, he just drops the line of, well, forget about all of that. Because <laughs> what I'm about to do is going to supersede that. So it's almost like, you know, Jesus's life towards the end when he tells us that we're going to do greater. Yep. And you look at Jesus's life and think, who can do greater than what you've just done? Yeah. But here we see how God has, you know, laid it all out, you know, sparkling. I did all of this and I'm going to do all of this. Well, Get your attention, but forget about that. Yeah. Well done. Well <laughs> Let's done. go let on me, to the... Yeah, let me, let me read some of the... It says, um, Sophie says, um, God is trying to remind them that God is able to do far more beyond... Well, well done, yeah, that's correct. Frederick, he's telling them that they have not seen anything yet. That's good. Um, he's going to demonstrate his awesome power. Tolu, forget all the tribulations you pass. Yes, Leanne, the magnitude of things. Ladies and gentlemen, it does sound like a paradox because it was a two-edged meaning. Number one, it's important that we always remember what God has done. It is always important because that's what builds our faith. That's what builds our confidence and our trust in God. If we've seen God do something before, then it helps us trust him for what he's about to do. But then, like somebody said, I'm not sure whether it was Biola that said, don't forget, please never forget context. Because there are two contexts in this situation. There's the context of the past in terms of what has happened, but they're also at this particular point in time, the reality for them is that they've gone through suffering because don't forget, God delivered them from Egypt, but God allowed them to go into captivity. So 
it's almost a paradox of, okay, so, but you remember the story of Gideon in, in Judges chapter six, where the angel appears to him and says, mighty man of valor, um, da, 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 God is going to go. And then Gideon says, but if, if, if God is for us, why are all these things happening to us? So there are two contexts. One is looking at what God has done before to understand that the same God who did that is able to do, but also bringing to life their present circumstances. God was the one that allowed them to, to, to be taken captives and defeated by Babylon. Now they're suffering in Babylon, but God is saying, don't focus on your suffering. Focus on the good things that I've done, the, the power that I've ex exhibited, but don't focus on the suffering and the circumstances because I am going to do something greater. I hope somebody understands that context, yeah? And then I love the way the New Living Translation says, but forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. Like most of you have said, that God is saying that what you've seen in the past is going to pale in significance compared to what I'm going to do in the future. But then I have another question, ladies and gentlemen, and then we'll start. I need, I need to finish like five minutes before the end because we have a meeting. You've all read the stories. So God delivers them and it's a mighty thing that is done because he does it in a very unconventional way. He goes and brings Cyrus, another atheist king who doesn't know God. And Cyrus comes and conquers Babylon and then they're released from Babylon. But when you compare it historically to what happened in Egypt, which one was greater in terms of the demonstration of God's power? Anybody? Which one's greater? Sorry, Pastor Shala, please could you repeat that? Which one was greater? Okay, so so God says, God says, thank you, sir. God says, remember what I did when I delivered you from Egypt. Yeah, the awesome power that God showed. And then to cap it all, he parted the Red Sea, they went through the Red Sea, and, and you know, the, the Egyptians drowned in the Red Sea. And then God says, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm about to do. Fast forward to when they were delivered from, um, from Babylon. Yes, it was spectacular in the sense that God used another atheist king to um, that Cyrus, the Persian king. He, he, um, God brought Cyrus who conquered Babylon. And then Cyrus was the one that issued the decree that set the um, Israelites free. But when you compare the two incidents, which one was a more dramatic, glorious demonstration of God's power? Do you understand, Biela? Yes. Yes, I do fully. Okay. But God had said, forget all that. I'm going to do something greater. But which one was greater between the two? Anybody? Sandra? Yeah, yeah. I raised my hand. Yeah, I feel it's the, the deliverance from Egypt. Okay. So what was God saying then? If the deliverance from Egypt was greater, more spectacular. Do you all agree that Egypt was more spectacular? Do you all agree? Yes. Yeah? Okay. 
So what was God referring to when he says, forget all that, I'm going to do something new? What was he referring to? In other words, he's able to do it again. Yes, yes, and he did, but what was God saying? Okay, let me remind those of you who were not at the beginning. I said, when you read the Bible, at least five things that you must look for, the nature of God, the character of God, we've seen that. You must look for the instructions of God. What is God instructing me? What is he chastising? What is he encouraging? Yeah? What is God saying to me? The mind of God. The third thing is, what was the third thing we said? Um, the promises of God, the blessings of God. We've seen the promise. The fourth thing is that the ways that God is molding a character. And then the fifth thing we said is always look for the types and shadows of Jesus, because Jesus himself said in throughout scripture, the whole of scripture is talking about me. I've told you the answer already, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I've told you the answer. But anyway, when God says, I'm going to do a new thing, remember that the Bible is not a static word of God. So it was in the context of, the, of the, 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 the Israelites at that point in time, the new thing that God was going to do for them was that he was going to deliver them from Babylon and restore them. But ladies and gentlemen, the new thing that God was referring to, particularly in the context of the types and shadows seeing Jesus in scripture, was actually a prophetic declaration of a great and mighty deliverance, mightier than what he did in Egypt. That's why he said, for it's nothing, what I'm about to do is nothing compared to what your ancestors went through. And really, that was a foreshadow of the great deliverance of humanity, because I'm sure you all know that that deliverance of Egypt and they're going through the Red Sea. I'm sure you, we've, I'm, I'm sure Pastor Baj has mentioned this a few times. Is a type and shadow of our deliverance from the tyranny of hell and Satan, and the restoration of humanity back to God through Jesus Christ. It's a type and shadow. I've told you the answer. I was hoping somebody would tell tell us this. But I say all this, ladies and gentlemen, to say that first of all, you appreciate the Word of God when you read it in context, because that's all we've just done. We've just gone through, there's still quite a number of things that you know, are quite interesting. In fact, let me just go on to the last few bits because it says, um, forget, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Incidentally, um, actually, let me not tell you. Can somebody just break this down for me? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Can anybody give that a go? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. What is God saying? Should I try? So, so sorry, Chidoze, you said yeah. God is saying he will redeem the world. You're absolutely correct. That's the great salvation that God was talking about. Dolakwa said the coming of Jesus to deliver us. That's absolutely correct. Okay. Who's having a go? I will make a pathway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Who's having a go? Should I try? Who's okay, Sandra? Sandra. Yeah, go on. Go on. 
Yeah, I see it as a, that he, he will deal with impossible situation. Okay. He's able to make a way in an impossible situation. Okay. Um, just like when he said, um, we will not see the, um, the rain and the wind, but there will be water in the ditches. So okay. he makes that, he will make a way where it, there's an impossible situation. Praise Wonderful. God. Wonderful. Yeah. Sophie, you said the same thing, that he will make what is naturally impossible to be possible. Very good. Kemi, are you having a go as well? Yeah, I think um, the other two uh, people that talked before me have actually said what I was going to say as well. So the God is basically saying that things that are uh, that seem um, impossible to us, He would, he, you know, He was, He's able to to make it happen. So things that are beyond natural understanding, he, He's able to do it. Okay, wonderful. Um, and just to add to that, um, again, context. For the context of the uh, Israelites were in Babylon at that point in time, um, if somebody just watches the clock for me, I need to finish before eight. If, if, if um, you look at it in the context of the Israelites, it's interesting that when God delivered them from Egypt, the journey from Egypt to Israel, to Canaan, was through the wilderness. Now that was journeying from south, upwards because Canaan was about north northeast of Egypt. Babylon is actually northwest of Israel. And it's interesting that the journey from Babylon back to Israel was actually through another wilderness. So in their context, he was saying the same way that I took you through that wilderness, I will bring you back through another wilderness. You know, it talks about the guidance of God, the provision of God, everything that he did during that. But we now know that God is not just talking to the Israelites. We now know, because this is the power of scripture, that it would apply to people a thousand years ago, it still applies to you today, you and I today, and for the future till Jesus comes, that the great deliverance God was talking about is the coming of Jesus to save mankind, to restore mankind, because the ultimate goal of God, ladies and gentlemen, was not just the Israelites. The Israelites were a prototype. When he says, I chose you as my special position, they were a prototype of times to come, you and I. That's why we always say that the Israelites are a type and shadow of the church of today. And what God is saying is that I will make a way through the wilderness, the wilderness, you know, the darkness of the world, the, the, the challenges of the world. I will make a way for people to be restored back to me. Bumi, you've got your hand up. Bumi? The picture I had in mind was that God says he will make a pathway through the wilderness. Mm. So meaning the wilderness is all around, all there, all yeah. but there is a path that you will tread or be able to tread from one end of the wilderness to the other. Yeah. And the same thing with the rivers in the, in the wastelands. It's like an oasis, a place where people can come and get some refreshing in the middle of this dry and barren land in there. He's going to create that, um, that, that place of, call it re re refreshing or, ref or you know, restoration where if there's it, the water is. Yeah, and if you look at it like this, and I will end in a few minutes, if you look at it this way, because 
remember types and shadows. What is God saying? What is God speaking? What, what is the manifestation of Jesus? The, the Babylon represents the world held, um, um, the world uh, holding people in bondage to sin. Israel or Canaan represents the presence of God. That's the type and shadow. The same way God delivered Israel from Egypt, from bondage and captivity and brought them um, and captivity and brought them into Israel. It's the same way God is saying, I will rescue humanity from the Babylon of the world and bring them back to me. Through the wilderness, through the challenges, I will guide them, I will provide for them, and bring as God brings people to him. Yeah. Now I'm going to end with the last bit. Can anybody tell me? Because when we read Isaiah 43, we always end with verse 19 or 20. I'm doing a new thing. Uh, forget the, the, the past. I'm going to make a way in the, in the wilderness and rivers through the desert. But we don't read the rest of the context. Can anybody tell me, what else do you garner from this awesome scripture? Isaiah 43, and then we'll end. I have to end in two minutes. Anybody quickly, 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 quickly. Anybody? You guys have been doing very, very well. Go on, just somebody have a shot. Have a shot. He starts by encouraging them. Fear not. I'm with you. I'm the same God. I'm your God. You guys, I chose you into a special relationship with me. You are my witnesses. You've seen what I, I've, I've done. Oh, by the way, I am going to rescue you again. Question, ladies and gentlemen, what got them into Babylon in the first place? What got them into Babylon was the hardness of their heart. And somebody said it at the beginning, it was the hardness of their heart, their rebellion, their sinfulness. And God is saying, I want to restore these people to me, but I, I know your heart. So you guys, you know, you're still wicked, hard-hearted, rebellious people. So if you read from verses 22, downwards to um so is it 22 yeah 22 downwards he was now saying that that you guys um this is me paraphrasing because of time that 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 I, oh incidentally sorry let me just say one quick thing do you know that at that point in babylon while some people were looking forward to the deliverance of god some of them had already acclimatized to babylon so when God actually delivered them, when Cyrus came, do you know that some people stayed in Babylon? They remained there because they'd acclimatized in Babylon. That's why God says, this is me paraphrasing the scriptures, almost like saying that, you know, many of you have lost your interest in me. Because remember, Israel, Canaan represents the presence of God, the relationship with God. God is saying, I'm going to deliver you and bring you back into this close relationship with me. But I can see your heart. Some of you are not interested. You don't even want to come back. And that speaks a lot to you and I today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and I'm going to end with this statement because the new that God is talking about, remember I said at the beginning, is the manifestation of God's love and God's power. God's love, he shows us in the extent to which he goes to deliver us from sin. The, the extent to which he goes, you know, to provide for us. The extent to which he goes, you know, to sort us out and all that. God's love. God's power works in two ways. It works first in you and I 
and then it works on our circumstances. So ladies and gentlemen, the new that God is doing, the, 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 the what's it called, the, 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 what makes the new very, very, uh, what's the English word that I can use now? Uh, magnificent or whatever it is, is the miracle of changed lives, the miracle of bringing people from uh, a state of brokenness and, and evil and darkness, bringing them into the light of God. But we talked about the light last, last, last Monday. But it's not just bringing people into the light, it's also changing us to who God wants us to be. And that's where we will continue next Monday by God's grace. Um, your homework, ladies and gentlemen, Ezekiel chapter 37, 36, verses 22 to 28. Read it in the context of what we've just read, Isaiah 43. So read Isaiah 43 again, and then read Ezekiel 36, 22 to 28, because the prophets, all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they were all saying the same thing. It's the same thing, the same plan of God for our lives. Read that. And then I was wondering where I should tell you to do this. If anybody can, if you can, but you don't have to, read the book of Ephesians from chapter one to chapter six. It's an awesome uh, gospel sum summary of, of God's power in our lives. It's awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll look at Ezekiel 36 next week, and then we'll look at Ephesians, but mostly chapter four. So if you can read the whole of Ephesians, read from chapters 1 to 6. If you can't, read chapter 4 and Ezekiel 36. Is that clear, guys? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. sir. All right. Yes, and then we'll, we'll tie this, we'll tie everything up. So God is doing a new thing, ladies and gentlemen, in your life and in my life. And can I just speak into your life that what God is doing is going to be far greater and more glorious than what he's ever done in your lives before. It will bring glory to his name. That's his plan and purpose because he chose you specifically, especially to be his representative to the world. Amen and amen, ladies and gentlemen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. You're welcome. Thank you, Pastor. To so see you next Monday, by God's grace.